It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Tuesday, July 20th, 2021. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. 23 more Sitkins tested positive for COVID-19 yesterday, bringing Sitka's total active case count to 175, with one new hospitalization. According to city data, all 23 patients are Sitka residents and were experiencing symptoms at the time of testing. Patients range in age from a child under 10 to two residents in their 70s. Nearly half of yesterday's positive cases consisted of people in their 20s and 30s. One case was classified as community spread, meaning public health officials haven't been able to determine who the patient contracted the virus from. Transmission details remain unreported for the other 22 cases, and contact tracing is still in progress. As the upward trend of positive COVID cases continues, the city remains at a high COVID alert level. Sitka's Emergency Operations Center recommends masking in public and social distancing, regardless of vaccination status. The first Alaska-bound cruise ship departed Seattle yesterday. Port of Seattle Executive Director Steve Metrick says this means good business for downtown Seattle after an entire year without the cruise industry. Cruise in the last year in 2019 was a $900 million economic impact in the creation of 5,500 jobs throughout the region. Royal Caribbean's Serenade of the Seas, first scheduled stop, is in Sitka on Wednesday. It's the first large ship Sitka's welcomed in nearly two years. The 10-story ship is also expected to call at Tracy Arm, Huna's Icy Strait, Juno, and Ketchikan before returning to Seattle as part of a seven-day cruise. But environmentalists in Seattle say they don't want to see the ships in Puget Sound. At a protest next to Seattle's cruise ship terminal, activist Rachel McDonald says cruise companies enjoy the beauty of nature, but don't take care of it. They belch toxic emissions without regard for our neighbors. Cruises burn the dirtiest fuels, not for essential services, but for luxury. This year's cruise season was shortened due to the pandemic. It will be running at reduced capacity. The itinerary was only made possible due to a waiver by Congress allowing foreign-flagged ships to bypass Canada, which has closed its port to cruise ships until after the Alaska season is slated to be over. Commercial net fishing for salmon in southeast is off to a poor start in much of the region. Returns of most species are not meeting forecasts, which weren't very high in the first place. KFSK's Joe Vicknicki reports. With some exceptions, it hasn't been a very encouraging start to the salmon season. I guess for, for both net fisheries, uh, Gilnet and Seine, we're looking at uh, poor chum salmon catches and uh, poor sockeye catches, and yet to be determined for pink salmon. Troy Tinas is the Alaska Department of Fish and Games Management Coordinator for Commercial Fisheries in the region. By the middle of July, the region's pink salmon catch neared 600,000 fish, still a far cry from the preseason forecast of 28 million with the bulk of the season still to come. Tinas explains indicators have been mixed on whether returns later this summer will meet that with some up and down fishing in southern southeast near Ketchikan. There was uh, some good pink catches that showed up in lower clearance uh, a couple weeks ago and then the pink catches kind of fell off and then they picked up again here this last opening in, in districts one and two. We are seeing a high, higher percent males than what we normally see this time of year. Um, which is uh, generally indicates that the run is coming in a little bit later than normal. 
and we have been seeing uh, a low average weight on on the pink salmon as well. Smaller size for individual fish can sometimes signal a larger overall return, and managers are hopeful that the 28 million harvest forecast for the region is still a possibility. They'll know more over the next few weeks, heading into what's normally the peak of the pink season. Pinks are targeted by the region's Purse Seine fleet, which is having 15-hour openings on Thursdays and Sundays in the early season. Most of the focus is around Ketchikan and Prince of Wales Island, and many permit holders are not yet out fishing. In the past, hatchery chum salmon have filled in a gap for saners and have taken pressure off wild pink stocks. In recent years, that hasn't been the case. The Northern Southeast Regional Aquaculture Association produces some of those chums around Sitka, Cake, and Petersburg. And Syrah General Manager Scott Wagner calls a chum returns miserable. Well, it's just a continuation of last year and, and the, the terrible return last year. Um, whatever, you know, widespread issue out in the Gulf is causing you know, all species of salmon, but particularly chum, to do very poorly. There's been no fishing this season around the Hidden Falls hatchery on Baranoff Island because of a low forecast. There have been openings at Southeast Cove near Cake and Thomas Bay near Petersburg, but catches have been poor. Wagner says chum are smaller than normal this year, and he doesn't expect early summer chum will hit the low end of forecasts at any of Ensera's sites. So that's discouraging. You know, we're about halfway through the return, and particularly Thomas Bay and Southeast Cove are performing very poorly. Gunnick Creek, that's our first return to the hatchery there with four-year-olds, and it's looking better. You know, we're seeing about half of our broodstock needs right now, about 10,000 fish, which is encouraging, but um, not what we forecasted. Um, and then same thing at Hidden Falls, it's looking looking slow again and, and likely come in under forecast. And we are just now starting to see some schools move into the bay. So. Gunnick Creek is Ensera's chum hatchery and cake. The region-wide chum catch topped 700,000 fish by the middle of July. All of Southeast Hatcheries combined forecast a total of 9.5 million dogs for the season. There have been some better catches of chum for gillnetters, fishing closer to Juneau and in Lynn Canal. In the central part of the region, however, the Drift Gillnet fleet has seen one area remaining closed for the first part of the season. Fish and Games' Tinas explains managers have kept District 8 around the Stikine River near Petersburg and Wrangell closed for multiple species. It was closed uh, initially for Chinook salmon conservation, but uh, it's also been closed for sockeye salmon. We weren't expecting a, a large return of Stikine River sockeye salmon this year. And as as a result, District 8 has kept closed because of that. So we haven't had any indications in our, our District 6 uh, drift gillnet fishery that the Stikine run is coming in larger than forecasted, so District 8 has remained closed. District 6 is near Zarembo Island and northern Prince of Wales and has seen some openings for gillnetters. The Stikine River forecast going into the season was for 56,000 sockeye. That's well below average and similar to what came back last year, but the run may not even meet that poor forecast. There are a few better showings of sockeye numbers elsewhere in the region, at Readout Bay near Sitka and on the Setuk River in Yakutat. Tina says it's still too early to know the strength of sockeye on the Taku, Chilkat, and Chilkoot rivers. Some of those saw some high water levels from a big snowpack to start off the summer. 
you know, if if anything, it's I would say it's slowed down at least. You know, the Chinook and Sockeye heading up the big and mainland rivers, being the Stikina and Taku. Gill netters are having openings from two to four days, depending on the area, with the bulk of the fleet focusing on District 11 near Juneau and District 15 in Lynn Canal. In Petersburg, I'm Joe Vicknicki. The Alaska Federation of Natives and other organizations, municipalities, and rural power providers sued Governor Mike Dunleavy's administration on Monday to keep the funding that helps lower power costs in high-cost areas. The lawsuit said that the administration's plan to sweep money from the Power Cost Equalization Endowment Fund and leave the program unfunded this year is unconstitutional. Scott Kendall is a lawyer who worked on the lawsuit. PCE is not a program that was ever meant to be subject to the political whims of the time, and the 80,000 Alaskans who rely on it shouldn't have to decide between keeping their lights on and feeding their families. Since Dunleavy's first year as governor, the administration has said that the $1 billion fund is subject to an annual vote of the legislature. If less than three-quarters of both chambers vote to draw money from the Constitutional Budget Reserve, then the money that's in the PCE fund is swept into the reserve, according to the administration. That vote failed in both chambers of the legislature this year. The lawsuit argues that more than $30 million in the budget for power cost equalization should continue to be paid, and that the administration's position effectively means that the governor vetoed the money, even if it wasn't on his list of vetoes. The Power Cost Equalization Endowment Fund was established in 2000 to provide state funding for the program, which had been the subject of annual legislative debate. Kendall said it was never intended to be swept. Rural Alaskans are largely disconnected from the grid and disconnected from each other. We couldn't build one big billion-dollar project to solve those energy cost issues. We created this uh, fund as though it's a piece of infrastructure. And, you know, if we build a hydro dam, we wouldn't be trying to tear it down every year. Um, We'd be allowing it to serve its purpose. The plaintiffs are seeking to have the lawsuit heard quickly. So is Dunleavy. The governor authorized the administration to pursue an expedited judgment. He said in a statement, quote, this issue is too important to delay any further. He also said a court decision would help clear up what gets swept into the constitutional budget reserve. Dunleavy has proposed including power cost equalization in the state constitution as part of an amendment that would also mandate the payment of permanent fund dividends. The case has been assigned to Anchorage Superior Court Judge Josie Garton. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. (laughs) 